there are few things more encouraging than hearing those missionary stories of how God is using people and gathering his people all over the nations to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we open up God's word to hear it preached, let's pray for missionaries in Latin America and, and the work that God is doing there. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for how you're moving so powerfully, and I, I thank you for your love for all people, and I thank you that you are sending your, your people, missionaries, all over the four corners of the earth, Lord God. You have hand-selected them, you have placed them right where they need to be, you're opening up the doors of opportunity so that, just as she testified, you're giving them the ability to go into to, to places where there wasn't work and then to begin a work in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And, and we pray that you would just bless this holy and sacred effort um, all over the world of fulfilling the Great Commission so that all the nations can be made disciples. And Lord, help us to be generous. Um, help us to love the nations and send missionaries and pray for missionaries and be globally minded people uh, about Jesus Christ and be ever about the, the great commission vision that we see in the book of Revelation of all people and all tribes worshiping you. Help us be a part of the fulfillment of that. And Lord, help us this morning to hear your word very clearly. Lord, change our hearts. Um, help us to be willing to, to surrender, just as this missionary was willing to surrender. And to say, here I am, Lord, however you would use me, I'm willing. Help us to lay down our lives, to be willing to be used by you. Help us to find you more precious and more satisfying than anyone or anything else in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Do y'all remember the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a movie that won an Oscar for Best Picture in the 1980s. And it tells a real-life story about a runner. His name is Eric Lydell. In the movie, he had a rival named Harold Abrams. They're, they're running in the Olympics. This is the 1924 Olympics. Lydell represents and runs for Scotland. Harold Abrams represents and runs for Great Britain. These two runners, these two people, couldn't be any different. Any different. 
in, in personality and, and makeup and motivation, really. Eric Liddell was a committed evangelical Christian. He had grown up and served with his family as a missionary in China. He had the ambition to go back and serve the Lord in, in China. Harold Abrams was not a Christian. He ran for very different reasons. Listen to how Eric Liddell uh, described his motivations uh, for running. And he said this, I believe that God made me for a purpose. And he was alluding to the purpose of, of being a missionary and going to share the gospel in China. But, he said, he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So, no matter win or lose the race, Eric Liddell was content in the Lord. God made him fast, and he viewed his athleticism through the lens of glorifying God. He was at peace no matter the result of the race. His contentment and satisfaction was not impacted based on the level of accomplishment that he did. Harold Abrams was a lot different. Listen to his motivation, the reason why he ran. Of course, he, he loved his country, but mainly the reason why he ran was for himself. He said, and now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And will I? That's a lot of pressure. I don't know if he really said something like that, but the idea behind it is really true for a lot of a lot of people. They're looking at at this opportunity that they have before themselves, and they're telling themselves, "I've got to come through. I've got to accomplish something. I've got to prove." Myself being worthwhile. Because if I fail, then that means I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. And that's how Harold Abrams approached his running, at least how he's betrayed in the movie. But the Bible tells us that everyone is going to live either like Eric Liddell or Harold Abrams. We'll approach life with either the mentality of trying to accomplish something, trying to get possessions, trying to build relationships so that we can find contentment and satisfaction. Or, on the other hand, we'll be able to love and enjoy people in life because we already have satisfaction in God. And we can run, so to speak, whatever we do because we feel God's pleasure in it. Because He is our peace. We're in a sermon series called Supernatural Births. And what we're doing here, we're looking at some supernatural, miraculous births from the Bible and seeing how they can compare to the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ, the, the greatest supernatural birth. And today's 
supernatural birth that, that we're going to dig into is the birth of Samuel. And we're going to be in the book of his namesake, 1 Samuel, chapter 1. I want to invite you to have a copy of the scriptures. Open it up there. We're going to tackle this passage uh, in sections like we did a few weeks ago because it is a little bit longer um, that we're going to be reading this morning. We're going to start out by reading 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 3. There was a man from Ramathane, Zophim, in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroboam, son of Elihu, son of Tobu, son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first name Hannah, and the second Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. We'll, we'll pause there. So, the book of 1 Samuel happens in a transition point in Old Testament history. Old Testament history, Israel. So, Israel had been led for several centuries with a series of leaders called the Judges. 1 Samuel is all about how they transition from the Judges to a king leading them. And the first king being named Saul. And then the second king being named David. And Samuel is actually the prophet who anoints both of these kings. So it only makes sense that the book of Samuel opens up with the birth of Samuel and understanding where he came from. This was before the temple was built. This was before even Jerusalem. The people of Israel came together to worship the Lord in a movable tent called the tabernacle. And this movable tent was based and set up at this time in a place called Shiloh. So people from all over Israel would travel to the tabernacle to worship the Lord there. There was this man named Elkanah, who would do this every year. He would take his family, he would go to the tabernacle in Shiloh to worship the Lord. And we're told he had two wives. The first wife was named Hannah, and the second wife was named Peninnah. Now this is a topic for another day. That's polygamy. When the Bible speaks of polygamy, know that it is just telling us what happened. It's not telling us what should happen. It's not condoning this behavior, this practice in any way. It's just telling us what really took place in Israel at this time. This passage also highlights one of the big problems with the practice of polygamy, 
and that was rivalry and competition within the family. Penina, we're told, was able to have children. And we're about to see she had had already several children. Penina was childless. And there was a rivalry brewing between Penina and Hannah. Let's look more now at what happened between these two women. First Samuel chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 now. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just, at, just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? One year, when Elkanah went, the rivalry had reached a, a fever pitch. Peninnah was just constantly on him, reminding her about how God had blessed her with his big family, with all these children. And Hannah, up until this point, was childless. And, and this is in a time period in history. This wasn't just in Israel. This was all over the world. When a woman's worth and dignity was tied to her having children, and especially having sons. Because at this point in history, Agrarian society, everything's based around the farm and, and agriculture. You had to have sons to support your family economically. So, wrong or right, and pretty wrong, this culture viewed Penina as being much more important and worthy than Hannah. And Penina relentlessly rubbed it in. And she was just constantly like a dripping water reminding Hannah what she had been given and up until this point what Hannah had lacked. And this impacted Hannah greatly. Her mental health was, was really bad. She was depressed she was oftentimes weeping. She would not eat. And that is until this one time, it, it seems like she had reached a breaking point. And she was back at the Lord's house, the, the tabernacle. And, and let's see her response. Let's read now verses 9 through 20. 1 Samuel 1. Verses 9 through 20. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost 
of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, Jehovah's Shabbat, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forgive me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get up off of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way, but she ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. This is God's holy word. So, one year, after this had all just brewed and brewed for so long, Hannah was there in the courtyard of the tabernacle. Eli, the high priest, was in earshot. He could hear her and and what was going on? She was weeping. She she was praying. She was obviously brokenhearted. It says deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. So she was not holding anything back from God. She was just pouring out herself to the Lord. And this is what she prayed: Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction. Remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, you know, and his hair will never be cut. So, to paraphrase this, Hannah still longed for a son. She prayed for a son. But she said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I'm going to sacrifice everything. I'm going to give him to you, and he will be a priest all the days of his life. Now, emotionally, as a mom, this was a tremendous sacrifice, where Samuel would grow up, and she would only have him through boyhood. And she would take him to the tabernacle where he would learn how to be a priest and he would spend the rest of his life 
being a priest and her only seeing her son probably just sparingly throughout the rest of her life. That was an emotional sacrifice, but financially it was also a great sacrifice. Remember, bearing children and especially having sons was a woman's security financially, economically during this time. So for her to say, I'm going to give up this boy to be a priest, he's not going to take care of me, is basically her sacrificing her social security and retirement right there for the rest of her life. Well, Hannah made a sacrifice. God heard her prayer. He answered her prayer. After they got back home, Elkanah and Hannah were blessed with the birth of a baby boy, which they named Samuel, because they had requested him from the Lord. This is the meaning of Samuel's name, reminding that Samuel was a supernatural birth. Samuel was sent from God for a purpose. He would play a huge purpose in Israel's history at this point as a great prophet to bridge the gap between the time of the judges on into the time of the kings. Now, what can we learn here from Hannah in the sacrifice that she made and the prayer that she cried out to the Lord with? This is the basic thing. We learn that real, true satisfaction, real, true peace is found in surrender. And it's found in surrendering all other hopes for peace and satisfaction over to God. It's saying, God, nothing else in this world can satisfy me except for you. And remember the movie quote that I mentioned at the beginning from Chariots of Fire? Harold Abrams ran because he was out in pursuit of peace and contentment and satisfaction. And he viewed everyone, every race, as the means for him to get this. Saying, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? So if he fails at what he was trying to do, he did not justify his, his whole existence. He, he didn't matter in his eyes. He never could find contentment. It was already, it was always so evasive to him because he felt like he had to earn it constantly. He never really truly possessed it. While Lydell, on the other hand, could run, could live his life, do all that he did with a sense of satisfaction that he already possessed from the Lord. 
because he had already given his life over to God. And he had found that real, true peace and satisfaction doesn't come through our accomplishments, our possessions, our popularity, our relationships. It comes from knowing Christ. And he could feel God's pleasure in all that he did. He could find peace and contentment, independent of his actions and his abilities and his accomplishments. How often do we do the very same thing? Let me read you just a few examples from a book called The King's Cross, written by Timothy Keller. Just everyday examples of how this may play out. Two artists paint a similar picture. One seeks to find joy in the painting, but is never content. The other seeks joy in God and feels his pleasure as he paints. Two doctors perform surgeries. One performs surgery because she loves the feeling of being needed by her patients and being viewed as important in the eyes of her community. Another performs the surgery for the glory of God, and she senses God's pleasure as she operates. Two parents raise their kids. One seeks joy in her children, and she builds her life on their success. If they misbehave or fail, she is crushed as her identity takes a blow. Another parent finds her joy in God and offers her children to Him. As she parents, she feels His pleasure. The problem with us is we think wrongly that our satisfaction is going to be found when all that we've ever wanted is given to us. When we realize all of our hopes and, and our dreams, that's when I'm going to be content. That's when I'm truly going to be happy and, and feel satisfied. But if we have that view of life, like Harold Abrams had, like Penina had, basically worshiping the fact that she was able to have all of these kids, rubbing it in the face of Hannah, if we view happiness through those lens, happiness will always be out of our reach. Contentment will always be right around the corner and will never be satisfied. Jesus put it this way, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Will only truly be satisfied when we yield all of the things of this world that we thought could make us happy to Christ and say to Jesus, You, O Lord, are my peace. You, O God, are my peace. Jehovah Shalom. You are my peace.
her dreams over to God. She's saying, God, if you will give me a son, I'm not going to keep him. I'm going to sacrifice him to you. I'm going to give him up to you. He is going to be a priest. And you can use him however you desire. Mary knew this too, centuries later. When the angel of the Lord visited her to announce the birth of Jesus Christ, sometimes I, I feel like we, we, we read the narrative there of the birth of Jesus, and, and we think Mary and Joseph, when, when they hear about they're going to have this, this child, we suddenly think, well, they probably reacted by saying, well, it's looking like a, a Merry Christmas. It's looking a lot like Christmas, right? You know? They were absolutely shocked at what was going on. They were stunned by the sacrifice that they were going to have to make to carry Mary and carried this child. Because in the eyes of her culture and community, it was not going to look good for her. For the rest of her life, she was going to be marked with suspicion because of what this looked like outside of wedlock. So Mary knew centuries later what God was asking from her. And when the angel told her who the baby in her womb is, this is her response. It's much like Anna's. It's a sacrifice. It's a surrender. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Lord, I sacrificed everything else on your altar. You are my peace. You are my source of satisfaction. Let it be done to me as you have said. God can use anyone, but there's one precondition. That person has to be willing to surrender themselves over to the Lord. There's no half measures with the Lord. He used Hannah. He used Mary. They were both willing to count the cost to follow and to do the Lord's will. Are you willing to follow Jesus like this? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Saying if you grasp hold of something else to satisfy you, if you are going to try to find your worth in something else other than God, you're going to lose it. It's going to be taken, taken away from you. And you're never going to find peace. But whoever loses his life because of me will Save it. Are you willing to write a blank check and hand it over to God? Say, God, whatever you want from me, I will do. 
The ultimate example of this surrender, however, is not Hannah, is not Mary, it's Jesus Christ Himself. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. How it describes how Jesus surrendered to come to earth to rescue you and me and those who believe. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So who are we supposed to follow in footsteps of, of Jesus Christ? Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So Jesus is God's Son. He existed from all eternity past. But then, following the will of His Father, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant. Some translations are even going to add slave. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus left the glory of heaven because he loves you. He was willing to be born as a little baby. Becoming and growing into a man. But he didn't come here for wealth and prestige. And, and when it was offered to him, the temptation by Satan, he said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, No, I'm going to serve the Lord only. He was willing to lay down his life, even to the point of death. Dying a bloody, terrible death for your sin. For your sin. Now that is ultimate surrender. And that's why he deserves your ultimate surrender. That's why this passage continues on and says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That he is more to the glory of God the Father. He did it for you and for me, but he did it to glorify God. He did it because he loves his Father. And he's always about his Father's glory. What glory are you about in your life? Are you living your life to try to satisfy and glorify yourself and your accomplishments, in your relationships, in your family, in your work, in your hobby. And when you compare that with the glory of God, it's like C.S. Lewis said, it's like trying to make mud pies along the creek when a vacation at the beach has been offered to you. And we want to hold on to these little small things when God has promised himself through his son the fountain of living waters. But we constantly forsake him for our own idols. 
But Jesus said, you can't keep it. Whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. It's not going to work out like you think it will. None of these created things are ever going to be satisfying. May we be consumed with the creator of all things rather than all things created. Will you do that this Christmas? Will you let your surrender to Christ be your Christmas gift to God this Christmas? As Jesus came to earth, the incarnation, why was he born of a woman? Why did he become a man? For you. For love's sake. Because he loves you. That's what Christmas is all about. God's rescue of us from our sin. By sending us the Redeemer, Savior, Jesus Christ. This Christmas, do you love God? Are you willing to say with Hannah and with Mary, and even more, following in the footsteps of Jesus, I love you, God. Therefore, I lay down my life. Whatever you're asking from me, it's yours. You are my worth. You are my satisfaction. You are my peace. You are my joy. You are what I want more than anything else. And if I have to give up anything, I'm willing. Here's my blank check. I'll sign it. It's yours. Just write it out and cash it in. Because I want to know what you're going to do with my life. And when we're willing to do that, God does not disappoint. He's going to deliver. He's going to do incredible things. Just ask that lady in the missionary video about what God did in her life. Whenever you're willing to give to God, He does not disappoint. Because for whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, surrenders his life, because of me will save it, says Jesus Christ. Let's go to the point of Lord, we acknowledge the holiness of your name. We praise you because of what you did by coming to earth to redeem us and save us. Lord, help us to make you our holy passion, our one obsession in life. Help us to long for you more. Help us to seek after you. Help us to be willing to surrender even those things that are most precious to us. Lord, when we do that, please don't disappoint us. We know that you want. Please fill us up. Fill us up with so much joy and, and peace and righteousness that, that we couldn't even conceive of beforehand. Do more than we can think or ask in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning and Will you come and say, God, I'm willing for you to use me.
however you want to use me today. Maybe you're, you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and this is your opportunity to do that. To follow Jesus, to trust in Him and be saved. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're hanging on to things that don't belong. Maybe this Christmas you come and say, God, I, I want to just reaffirm that I belong to you. And I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm sorry for getting off. And I want to follow you again. I want to continue to follow you again. Maybe you need somebody to talk to. I'm willing to do that now. There's multiple ways you can get a hold of me. My email, my phone number is, is in the bulletin. Just give me a holler. And I'd love to sit down. And, and talk to you either now or after the service or, or whenever. Will you come and, and follow Christ as however he leads you?